Welcome to the interview show. This is Scott Wood, your host. I'm sitting in the bowels of the Vogue Theater with a guy named Dan Mangan. Dan, I'd love you to say hi. Hi. How has your day been? Uh, it's been quite good, thank you. Nice to be back in Vancouver. It's your hometown. It is, yeah. We've just spent three, just over three weeks on the road from Halifax, and I got to have breakfast with my family this morning. It was good. Nice. We just journeyed through the backstage area of the Vogue, and in a lot of dressing rooms, there are tiny Easter eggs. What's going on there, Dan Mangan? <laughs> Our uh, tour manager's parents own a bulk food store in Ottawa. And so as we stopped through Ottawa, they gave us this like enormous box full of chocolate and like uh, granola bars and cashews and stuff. And so we the, the bus has been stocked ever since with uh, with tiny little like I'm not even kidding, probably like 3000 Easter eggs. Which treat have you been tempted to eat the most? I would probably say Easter egg. Yeah. I'm kind of geeking out right now because you're Vancouver's golden boy. So give me a tip to try to get through this geeking outness. Um, you know, stay the course and uh, keep keep your feet on the ground. <laughs> Someone's trying to enter the room. Shall we let him? Sure. Yeah. I think it's actually his room. <laughs> we'll give him full, complete all access. There we go. He's gone. He just left, but I would love you to tell me about a time that you geeked out and how you got through it. Oh, man. Well, there was, I, one time I had coffee at Colin Greenwood's house in Oxford, and it was me. For people who don't know, you need to explain who that is. So Colin Greenwood is the bass player from a, a, a fledgling upstart band called Radiohead, and I was, I was kind of freaking out, too. Uh, I'm not equating your experience now with that because that was, you know, um, he's a much more interesting person than I am. But, um, but I did. Uh, I don't know. You know, I was. Uh, that was that was a really meaningful uh, morning. I've never connected with him since. I probably never will. But uh, that meant uh, the whole world to me at the time. That you know, I'd met this guy who was basically, you know, my hero, and he was a total sweetheart and real human kind of person. Did you ask him an embarrassing question like I'm going to ask you? <laughs> well, I don't know. Uh, he did. Actually, this is pretty incredible. He played for me. This is before In Rainbows came out. And he uh, he was like, oh, we have a meeting later today and we're supposed to talk about these rough mixes. Um, but I haven't listened to them yet. Would you mind if I like listen to these songs? So he played videotape and Reckoner and a couple songs off of uh, In Rainbows that had never been heard in the whole world other than in the very small Radiohead community. So I felt very pr privileged at the time to, to hear those tunes, and I was kind of shitting myself. Thanks for that story. I'm going to try to get control of myself, but while I do, let's listen to a track. Let's listen to Vessel off Club Eds. How about you tell me a little bit about this track as the music comes up? Sure. Well, the uh, song Vessel was uh, initially in a film called Hector and the Search for Happiness, but we had it on the record as well. It's kind of about feeling inundated with bullshit from all angles all the time and fending it off and trying to, trying to maintain a sense of personal compass. 
So it's vessels? <laughs> no, like you're a vessel and you're just like this thing that, that moves and changes and develops and wanders and things pass through you. And so the idea is like you're in the valley, you're like in this turret basically, and like this gauntlet. And there are people on either side of you on the hills shooting at you with bullshit guns and you're trying to avoid it and run through this gauntlet of life. All right, thanks for that. It's a very uplifting song. We're going to listen to that track. We'll be back in a second. This is Scott Wood, your host. You just heard Vessel off a record called Club Meds by a guy named Dan Mangan. He's done this record with a band called Blacksmith. I am sort of geeking out. I'm kind of recovering, but I've got one more thing to ask you. I heard once you had the opportunity to smoke up with Willie Nelson and Snoop Dogg, but you did not. I it was I, I was kind of a fly on the wall scenario. I uh, I wasn't explicitly offered. They were smoking out of a vaporizer at the time. I was on Willie's tour bus with Snoop Dogg, and um, and I they were having a beautiful conversation, and I was kind of just hanging out. If they had offered, I honestly don't know if I would have because I'm such a lightweight with uh, with pot that I probably would have ended up 
crying about 10 minutes later or something like that. So I, I'm kind of glad that I wasn't offered because it, it would have been, uh, I, I, considering how weak I am to it and how chronic those two are, I can't even imagine how intense their weed is. But here's what I'm thinking, Dan. I can understand why you wouldn't want to cry on front of Snoop Dogg, but everyone's a lightweight compared to those two. Exactly. Yeah. No, I know. I, I don't think I'm alone in that, in that uh, scenario. All right. The record is called Club Meds. One of the big changes in this record is that you've added your band's name to the marquee. I would love you to talk a little bit about that because you've been with them for six years. Yeah, some of the guys even seven years, some of them five. Um, I, it was kind of, we had taken a bunch of time off after O Fortune. And so when we kind of recalibrated and got together and started making new music, um, we had talked about ha adding a band name for a long time, but we just never thought of the right name. And um, and Kenton thought up Blacksmith. I really like it. I think it kind of has like a, you know, the romantic notion between um, craftsmanship and art artistry. and. Um, and I, it kind of is indicative of the guys in the band, you know, they, they could, their sort of uh, approach to music is very much of that sort of dedication, lifelong dedication to, to a craft, you know, a trade. Um, and so I, I really respect that. And uh, it seemed like the time. I mean, we feel like a band. When we play, I think it sounds and it feels like a band. It's not just, doesn't feel like me and a bunch of support guys. So over your career, you've transitioned from solo artist to band leader. What's one essential skill you need to have as a band leader that you might not have as a solo artist? Uh, rumble, rumble, that sound check above us. Yeah. Um, man, delegation maybe. I mean, the nice thing about when you're on your own is you can sleep on anyone's couch. You can kind of change plans. You can, you know, you have a day off, you can catch a train to a different city or whatever if you're in Europe. Um, whereas if you are with a band, it's like everything is much more on a grid. You know, you're much more on a schedule. And um, there's, you know, you have to make sure everybody's feeling uh, honored or, or sort of, uh, wow, that really is a rumble. I don't know. I hope your microphone's catching that. That's pretty impressive. I hope my microphone is not catching that, but it is. Yeah. But yeah, I think, you know, you have to be conscious of people's energy and their, you know, what they're, what they're putting into the project and their time and energy and life and music and creativity. So, you know, you want to make sure everyone feels like they're getting kind of the reciprocation of, of credit and, and love that they deserve. It sounds like what you're trying to do is get everybody more invested in the situation. So I'd love you to talk about a moment when writing this record where everybody rose to the occasion and the music was better for it. Well, there's a, there's a lot more collaboration in the kind of song crafting on this record than the previous ones. The guys, <clears throat> you know, they not only did they have the license to speak their minds, but sort of the responsibility, you know. Um, I, I, I think you said it correctly. I think it was sort of the, there's a shared responsibility now, and so it's their asses on the line as well as mine. And uh, what that... I mean, in, in, when we were in the studio, there was a lot of scenarios where we would fight or argue about a song, try and get it to a place where we all felt good with it. But um, that was sort of the, the result, is that we wouldn't close the door on a song until we all felt like we were good with it. And, uh, and that, that, man, sometimes that was harder than others. But, you know, Kitsch is a, ba is a song that Johnny wrote the bass line to entirely separately, and then I wrote a melody, and then Kenton wrote this great polyrhythm, and Gord wrote this kind of 
three uh, little like African sounding kind of line and so everything kind of came together from different angles which have never happened before and every other record that I'd made it was sort of like I had a song that was written start to finish all the pieces were there and then people just kind of had to figure out how they came into it but uh, so it, it was nice to, to change and develop the way that we were putting these songs together. So Kenton has gone on record saying that you guys got a little bit aggressive with each other when writing the record, so I'd love a concrete example of that. Well, when we were making Pretty Good Joke, which is the second last song on the record, we, we spent about eight hours trying to record it one way that was you know without a click, without a grid. and. Um, the nature of the song is that it is kind of a, a clicking sort of, you know, boxy, robotic sounding kind of pulse. And um, so after spending eight hours and arguing relentlessly about this song, we came back the next morning and we recorded it to a click and it all fell into place. But the thing is about that song is that it was it's like it wasn't recorded traditionally like a song where you just catch a take. It was recorded in bits and pieces. And then after the fact, we'd place the drums here or the bass line there and kind of put it all together like a little puzzle. I think that it's time to play another track off your record, Club Meds. Sure, it's a good idea. I'm going to play Mouthpiece. I'd love you to tell me a bit about that one as I bring up the music. Sure. Oh, Mouthpiece is, um, it's like a whole bunch of opinions shot together, some thoughts about, you know, the pack mentality and the little moral concessions that we each make to not rock the boat too much. And... Um, you know, the, uh, the ability of a government to uh, answer questions and be held accountable to, to their uh, constituents and um, ideas about the media and about, uh, you know, how sometimes news is actually just theater dressed up as news. Um, yeah, a whole bunch of ideas about society. And it's also about me. Like, I, I'm not just pointing the finger at other people. I see these hypocrisies and paradoxes in myself, too. And, you know, that's frustrating. And I think that that's part of why writing these songs feels good sort of it's cathartic to put it out loud and not just like deal with it internally the disengagement of the bubbles hypnotizing say be though crust the beast is rising we like to talk about the past we like to talk about the past we talk about the past like it's a Understand that sometimes we almost dance with fuckery, but everybody's missing in the well of our suffering. I wanna breathe in all the ashes, books they tried to burn. Wanna feel the pages in my skin and understand the words.
interview show this is scott wood your host you just heard mouthpiece off the new record from dan mangan that record is called club meds i've got dan here in the bowels of the vogue there's bands doing soundcheck behind us dan i'd love you to tell me a little bit more about this track about mouthpiece uh well it's uh it's kind of like one of the more rocking kind of straight ahead quartet songs on the record um, but lyrically, it's probably the least poppy song that I've written, and that is very wordy. And, you know, uh, I think every single phrase in this song I could write an essay about, you know, and, and it took about a year to write. It was a really lengthy process just trying to get it to a place where I felt good about it. So I'd be, lit- I'd be in the shower, like, humming the, the it and trying to figure out exactly how a line should sound because there was one consonant that didn't fit right into it or something like that. So... It was, a, it was a labor of love, this song. A very slow burn. I've read that you're always writing a song in your head. Do you even write songs when you're getting asked routine questions in interviews? Um, I, I do have a rule to always be writing. Um, and that's more just about the idea that even if you're not, you know, head deep in the creative process or whatever, but like you're always open to the idea. You know, you're, you're, you see a sign on the street and it, inspires a weird phrase in your head and you write that down and you save it for later that kind of stuff so i like to always kind of have a couple songs on the go when you guys finished touring for the record oh fortune your last record you've said that you guys were burnt out you took time off for other projects babies film score work when you guys reconvened i'd love to hear the story for example, was it like a movie sequel where you guys get back together, then Kenton, your drummer, says something crazy, and you're like, yeah, we're back? It was, uh, it was exactly like the movie Blues Brothers, where each, uh, each member of the band had to be plucked from their new life uh, reluctantly into a scenario where they would uh, play country bars and, and make no money. 
<laughs> All right, that was good. Thanks. <laughs> also, Carrie Fisher was trying to kill us the whole time. <laughs> Timely. All right. I think that it's about time we play another song. I wanted to play an older song. Guess which song I picked? Oh, which one? Robots. Oh, I know that song. So I'd love you to say maybe a sentence about robots while I bring up the music. Sure. Well, robots is, uh, it's kind of like about the idea that the people that you know uh, that need the most love, that need the most sort of compassion and, uh, and operate from a kind of sniveling defensive position at all times are not necessarily going to get the love because they don't know how to ask for it. And uh, I think that it's just sort of, yeah, saying like even the, the biggest bastards, you know, they all, they, they're, they're aching for it. They're aching to be loved and heard and understood, even more so than the nice people that you know. I don't know what you've been told But I don't get out much these days Waking young and feeling old The days are no longer my own To piss away the waking hours But don't, 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 don't let them go Don't, 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 don't let Love. 
to the interview show. This is Scott Wood, your host. You just heard robots off the record. Nice, nice, very nice. Some might say that's Dan Mangan's signature tune. I'm sitting here with Dan Mangan in the Vogue Theater as bands are practicing in the background. While the song was playing, Dan told me about a sequel he was planning to write for this track. It's called Cyborg Dad. Could you tell me more? Well, what happens is Cyborg Dad wakes up one morning and he starts to brew a cup of coffee, but the coffee actually contains a certain kind of metallic liquid that morphs into a dog. And the dog, which is, you know, named Coffee, of course, um, eats the kid's homework. And then the kid goes to school and uses this new coffee liquid metallic technology to you know, infiltrate the school and create a whole army of um, coffee dog uh, students that take over the school and kind of, you know, start a new world order. Dan Mangan can think on his feet. The reason why I wanted to play an older track is because this record, Club Meds, everyone's going, he's moving away from his singer-songwriter roots. In a lot of interviews, you have to sort of defend that direction. Instead of that, I would love to get you to geek out and tell me about a favorite artist of yours whose career and musical output have taken a strange, unexpected direction and why you loved them. I think all my favorite bands have done that. I mean, Tom Waits or Neil Young or Radiohead or, uh, you know, Paul Simon or... uh... So let's pick one, be a little bit specific, because not everyone's going to know who you're talking about. Well, I just think it's, you know, like, I think if you're going to have a body of work that spans over a couple decades or, you know, like, I, I would love to have eras in my work where people be like, oh, I liked him in the 2000s or I liked him in the tw- 2020s or something like that. that's my favorite era of his work. So I think that it's just important to try different things. I mean, if you just do the same thing over and over again, not only are you going to get bored, but it's like you're, you're just tapping at the same well. I mean, I, I feel like there's... There's different parts of me. There's different interests in me, and I, you know, there's lots of things that I want to try. So, um, I don't know. It's, it's it's a really strange thing for people to actively wish that somebody else would stop growing and changing. That's a really weird thing. And the, the fact is that like, I love a lot of my older material, and and I love playing it. And you know, I have a lot of uh, roots kind of in that folky kind of world. And that, that'll never go away, you know, that's, uh, those songs, those recordings are always going to be there. So, you know, I, I'm interested in trying different things. And to be honest, I mean, I don't think this new music is that different. It's got some different sounds and stuff like that, but it's still verses and choruses and it's still my thoughts. And, you know, I feel like my vocals are getting more interesting as I age. I'm kind of trying different things. I don't know. So it's the zeitgeist too, you know, it's like times change, things, things change. And I think often when people love an artist's work from a specific time, it has to do with them finding that music at a certain point in their life. So it actually has very little to do with the artist, it has a lot to do with their own nostalgia surrounding their idea of that artist at that time. I completely agree. But Dan Mangan, as an artist, you have to deal with that. Unfortunately, or fortunately, I was reading on a Reddit interview where you were talking about conversations you had with other artists about this very thing and shepherding fans towards the new material. And that sounds like a fascinating conversation to be a fly on the wall during. Yeah, I mean, I, I mean, I, I, yeah, if you're going to kind of develop new sounds and stuff like that, there's going to be people who want to hear older songs and stuff. So, um, 
it's it has to do with your attitude it's not about sort of saying this is what we're doing and if you don't get it fuck off it's you know that's not where we're coming from it's more of a uh, this is the trip that we're on we think it's interesting you know we would love for all the people who enjoyed us in the past to kind of come along with us for the ride and when we're playing shows now we're playing tons of old material still you know it's where it's a good mix of old and new but um, you know and, and the funny thing is that in our concerts I think if you didn't know any of our material and you this was your first introduction to us you'd have a hard time knowing what was old and what was new so um, it's all blending together pretty nicely Glad to hear it. Dan Mangan, when you're successful and you're called things like a Canadian treasure, you get invited to some very strange and unexpected gigs. I'd love you to tell me about one of them. Huh. Well, one time I did a gig in the aquarium in Brighton, England. That was pretty weird. There was like a giant turtle floating behind me. Uh, I don't know. What's another? I, I, I played a gig at the Canadian consulate down in L.A., number of years ago and Leonard Cohen was getting a lifetime achievement award and he was there but I didn't get to meet him but Daniel Lenoir played and uh, Emmy Lou Harris happened to be there so she got up on stage with Daniel Lenoir and they sang Waterfall it was beautiful and then Kanon was playing but he, he basically had mandated that nobody was allowed to talk to him the whole night and he stayed in like a this weird little room alone the whole night and then he came out and just kind of phoned in his 15-minute performance, then went back to the room. I read that you actually performed during the swearing-in of our current mayor. Uh, I did. I've, yeah, I did. I performed during the swearing-in of Gregor Robertson and the rest of the Vision Council and everyone. And the, actually, you know, the whole council, the board, so the, the keepies and the, the Greens. Um, when you guys are all drinking together after the concert, there must be some pretty interesting conversations happening. You know, it's... Uh, my... I'm experienced with politicians is that a lot of the mud happens in public and then you know when it comes to them all being in the same room they're all pretty civil with each other um, even if they disagree on things it seems to be my experience you know crossing paths with politicians in Vancouver or Ottawa but um, I also did play Canada Day with Will and Kate uh, when they were visiting Canada back in 2011 or something like that you're referring to the royal couple yeah Prince William and the the Kate, was she the Duchess of York or something? Yeah, they were nice. They were nice. They had some pretty interesting costumes on, and they were sweet people. I think I think they're they're it's true what they say. They are they are real people. They, I saw I looked in their eyes and I saw humanity. <laughs> All right, Dan Mangan. Oh, I've got one last pickup question. You talk a lot because now you're a father. Congratulations about strategic touring with kids. So advice for other parents who are also musicians. What is strategic touring with kids? Well, we used to tour sometimes for like six, seven weeks at a time, but that's just too long. Um, I think mostly it's about trying to get as much done in about three weeks as possible. And like, you know, as few days off as you can and just try and hammer out as many gigs as you can and then get home. Um, and to try and never be away for longer than three weeks because it's it's tough tough to be away from your kids for for that long when you're young don't you have the advantage of being able to take them with you um not really because it's really expensive to do that and also it sucks being on the road if you're not in the band i mean if you were if having a kid on tour would be like way harder than just having a kid in the city so i mean here in the city my wife has amenities you know other family members and stuff like that whereas if she was on the road 
she'd actually have a less help, you know, I think, because I would be busy doing stuff all the time. So, and then she'd just kind of be hanging out in the hotel room, which doesn't sound like very much fun. Dan Mangan, thank you very much for spending some time with me here alone in the bowels of the Vogue Theatre. If I had some Easter eggs, I would give them to you as a reward. Instead, the last song is your choice. What should I play? Oh, I think you should play Kitsch from the new record. And why should I play this song, Kitsch? Because it's like five minutes long and it probably won't get much play on the radio, but I think it's one of the stronger songs that we that's on the record. What's one aspect of it you would think I would enjoy? I think that the counterpoint between Johnny's like arpeggiating bass line and Kenton's polyrhythm creates this fairly hypnotic uh, dynamic thing that kind of can, if, you, if you're listening really carefully, it can kind of put you in a trance. Prepare to get hypnotized. Dan Megan, thank you very much for being on my show. My pleasure. Thanks, guys. Ladies and dresses. in the bedroom. Holy
Dan Mangan. Currently, I don't know if you knew this or not, but you are listening to the interview show with Scott Wood. 